Let's open our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. Lord willing, we'll look at the first 17 verses this morning. Let's just read it, and then we'll dive into it. Jesus has, is about ready to leave this mountain. We call it the Mount of Beatitudes, this area on the western side of the Galilee. And it's elevated, it goes up, and, uh, and then of course it goes right down into the Sea of Galilee, which is really not a sea, it's a lake. Uh, but anyway, he's shared with us the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5 through 7, and now he gets into a different part here, and we'll talk about this as we go. But notice verse 1, it says, When he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, no, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done to you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And so he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. And when evening had come, they had brought to him many who were diseased, or excuse me, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And I think that's all we're going to get through today, because um, there's quite a bit here. But if you remember, Matthew's gospel shows us that Jesus is not only the Messiah, but he's the rightful king. He's the rightful heir to the throne of David. And remember, we went through verses, or excuse me, chapters 1 and 2, and it really showed us Jesus' lineage from Abraham through Jesus and the circumstances surrounding, notice his miraculous birth, because it was a miraculous birth. Those first two chapters spoke of his early life and the Old Testament prophecies that were literally fulfilled by his life and the things, the events surrounding his birth and his young life. 
We got into chapters 3 and 4, and that showed us the authentication of Jesus as the Messiah through John's baptism. Jesus allowing himself to be baptized, to to be our our forerunner, to be our example. And, And the Lord, who didn't need to be baptized, he submitted himself to John's baptism. And then he was tempted in the wilderness, and then his early ministry began in Galilee. And and certainly, as we have seen through chapters 5 through 7, this Sermon on the Mount containing the Beatitudes, speaking of the standards, those attitudes of heart that ought to be prevalent in the life of a believer, these things that need to be there. And, And God, through his Spirit, does all of these things in us. And then finally, we come to chapter 8, and it continues authenticating Jesus as the Messiah, the King of the Jews, by his authority over sicknesses, over diseases, his his authority over our whole being. And in addition to that, his authority over the spiritual realm, the things that are seen, which is everything we see here, but there are also invisible things all around us that we cannot see, and hallelujah that he has authority over those things as well. Right? Yeah, he does, and I'm so glad. Because God has it all under control, folks, and I want to encourage you with that today, especially if you've come with a heavy heart. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. He's aware, very much aware of what's happening, why it's happening, and ultimately the outcome of it. So we don't need to fret. We don't need to fret and worry. We just need to continue to abide in him and and trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in him with all of our heart. Right? What's that proverb? We shared it yesterday. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. I am so glad for that. Because when I trust in myself, things go sideways pretty quickly. But if I trust in him, I can't be disappointed. Because then I understand that no matter what comes into my life, whether it's a positive thing that I perceive as positive or maybe even I perceive it as negative, maybe perceive it even as something that is harmful to me, I know that God is allowing it, he's behind it, he's working wonderfully. Never forget that, folks, because, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about Jehovah Rapha, God our healer, but, you know, when everything is going well, it's easy to trust him, but it's when those times when those when our health goes, when, when we have a disease, maybe an incurable thing, there's something that has happened to us. We don't like it. We're, we're thinking, I thought I had more time. I thought I had more time. And, and the Lord's going, I, I understand. But there's things about your life and the impact of what I'm doing that you don't understand. You don't understand how people are peering in and looking in at what's happening to you, and they're seeing how you're dealing with it in Christ. They're being strengthened and emboldened by it. They're being built up, believe it or not. And see, that's the way we have to look at things, because it's not all about me. Well, you know, when I, whenever I'm sick, and I, I, you know, I'm not terminally ill, but if I was, I, you know, I, I would feel that way. But you know, we have to understand that God has a purpose. And he's preparing me, and he's preparing you. And everyone around us is watching. And so you know what? Regardless of whether I live or whether I perish, I want to be a light. No matter what happens, I want to continue having that torch. 
of the gospel of Christ. His wonderful power working in and through me and you. And to never lose sight of that. Because the world doesn't have that. They don't have that assurance. They don't have that unction that we have. Because if we look at these things correctly, we will say, Lord, you're sovereign over all things, and I submit to whatever it is that you want to do, even and especially if I don't like it. If I'm not happy with it, I'm not happy with you, God, because of what you're allowing. Even in those times, we can say, Lord, though you slay me, I will trust you. Isn't that what Job said? Though you take everything away at times, and though you, it seems that my life is just in shambles, I know you're doing something. And folks, that's when our faith is really tested. That's when we're tried. And I hope that all of us in time, because we're all going to be faced with difficulties. Many of us are facing horrendous things right now, but as we go through them, just trust the Lord. Just trust him. So, so why is this necessary now that we get into this passage where Jesus has, uh, uh, speaks of his authority over not only sickness and disease, but also over the spiritual, spiritual realm? Excuse me. Why is this necessary? Well, the people of Israel, including the religious leaders of the day, they were evaluating Jesus' claims of his Messiahship. If he is the Son of God, they, they understood that he would have to have uh, to qualify with a checklist of things. If he is the Messiah, he ought to be able to have control over the weather. If he's the Messiah, he ought to be able to have control over disease and physical maladies. If he's almighty God in the flesh, he has control over nature. And all of these things are true. And that's why these specific events are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew to show, to prove to authoritate his claims of messiahship. He has the power to heal, and he has the power to kill. And don't assume that if you get a disease and he allows the natural process to go through and you're not healed you know, divinely, we all want that naturally, but even when he allows us to go through the, the process of death, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. He loves you. But that doesn't stop your own flesh, and certainly it doesn't stop the devil from coming and saying to you, well, you know, you weren't a good Christian for 20 years of your life, therefore God is punishing you with this malady. No, you can't think like that. We mustn't default to that position. We always need to go to the Lord and, 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 and certainly allow those things, uh, when they come to you, to be a catalyst for you getting your heart right before God, that's the right thing to do. But don't assume that it's because of something you've done or something that maybe you're even doing right now that that's the reason why this is happening to you. Folks, we don't have all the information. It's, it's dangerous to do that. But it is good to go to him. Confess everything. You know, I get a nosebleed and I'm confessing of things I didn't even do. You know, I'm like, Lord, you got my attention. What is it? You know, this bloody nose won't stop. And I'm sitting there with these, you know, trying to get it to stop. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't take much for the Lord to turn up the heat on me. And I'm, I'm, I'm already pleading, you know, I'm just standing before the judge going, I'll, I'll confess to murder. I didn't do it, but I, I did it. <laughs> just heal me, Lord. Forgive me for even the thought of, you know, you know, so I, I do those things, and that's all healthy and good, but don't assume. 
There's so many people in the body of Christ that are going through difficult things, and certainly you've got a history. Certainly you've got a past that that the devil loves to bring up and say, oh, it's because you did that thing back in 1975 at Woodstock, or whenever it was, 72, 60s, whatever. 60s, yes, it was in the 60s. Don't assume that. It's unfair and it's not right. Don't assume that. And is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, is there any sin that you've committed that's so bad that God has got to strike you? Seriously, I mean, think about it. Do you think that... Remember this, folks. The judgment that you and I receive or should receive was, was poured out one time on the cross on Christ. The punishment for my sin was placed upon him. That's what the Bible says, does it not? So therefore, why should I walk around in condemnation when I have given my heart to Christ and I've confessed my sins, even though I've got some disease that may be taking, it's going to take my life perhaps, God loves me and he accepts me because I've given my heart to him and I've confessed everything that I can think of to him. Now, he can heal, and he may, maybe he will, and I hope he does, if it's his will. But again, there's circumstances around our life that we just don't get. We don't understand it. There's other people watching that don't even know Christ. How is this believer going to deal with this malady in their life while they really believe what they're saying? Why aren't they scared to death? Why aren't they crying? Why, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with crying, but why aren't they publicly crying and woe is me and, you know... There's nothing wrong with that either. But the world is watching. How are we dealing with it? That's why these specific events are here. And unfortunately for many, even these infallible proofs, they weren't enough for the religious leaders and the Jews of the day. It wasn't enough for them to, be, to, to believe. If they had not been blinded by their jealousy and their hatred of Jesus... And if they just looked at the facts, they too would have come to the realization that he is and was who he says he was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so these things that are written for us in the Gospels, they prove that seeing is not believing. You've heard the phrase, seeing is believing. That's not in the Bible. (laughs) Seeing is not believing, but rather believing is seeing. Because all of the religious people, the Jews, they saw these things in real time. And did it change everybody? Were they like, you know, I just, I knew you were the Messiah from the first time I saw it. Did it change their life? Were the religious leaders who were the most responsible with the oracles of God? They should have been the first ones standing in line, bowing at his feet. But they weren't. So seeing is not believing. They needed to be believing, and then their eyes would be opened. Be careful about that seeing is believing. Because believing is seeing. And remember, this book of Matthew is not written chronologically. It's not written chronologically. As you go through, there's events that are just shifted around so don't try to read this there is some chronology to it but it is not in a strict chronology so we're going to be reading things that are all out of joint but again why is it there it's it's written thematically to show us that very thing that jesus is the messiah that he is 
the rightful heir to the throne, and he proves it by these things that we're reading. So the area of the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning is the first 17 verses, and it shows us that he has power over sicknesses and disease. That's why Jehovah Rapha, that's the Jewish or the Hebrew, and it means God our healer or the Lord who heals you. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 15. That's the first place that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to spend a few minutes on this verse. Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. And while you're going there, uh, the children of Israel have already, um, they've already have made their, you know, the, the plagues of Egypt have already happened. The Passover has happened. Now the children of Israel have left Egypt. And now they get out into the wilderness. And notice verse 22 of Exodus 15. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. You know, I just love the Bible, how simple it is. You know, just names. It's like, why did you call this place Marah? Well, because the water that we drink was bitter. Oh, that makes sense. I like that. Simple to the point, uncomplicated. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them or proved them and said, if, notice, here's God speaking, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, then I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What diseases was he talking about? The plagues. Plagues, the, the frogs, the lice, the, the diseased livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and the death of the firstborn. I mean, that's, that's a pretty nasty list. But notice in that very last line, for I am the Lord who heals you. The word uh, heals is Rapha, and of course, Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah. And this is where we get this, and this is the first time it occurs in the Bible right here in Exodus 15. Um, in uh, verse, uh, in that last verse there, in verse uh, 26, I am the Lord who heals you. And this word heal literally means to cure or to repair, to make whole. And I like that. I am the Lord who heals you. I am certainly able to heal you. I've been healing you all along. You might not even been noticing or even aware. I don't know if you guys know this, but do you know that cancer cells are always working against us? They're in our bodies and they're, they're fighting and they're trying to take dominance. Out. There's a battle going on in our bodies. Does that frighten you? It does me. I'm just like, you know, right, just peace on the home front, you know. But there's a battle and God is aware of all of this. And I'm thankful that he's fighting battles that I can't even see. He's fighting things that I don't even know are happening in me, much less the invisible realm that I can't see. All the things that I can't see, God is taking care of. Isn't that comforting to think? He's got, he's got control over me and you. 
He's got control over the things that we can't see. And by the way, he's even got control over the things that are happening physically. God is not, his hand is not short. I, I pray that we all get out of our heads this small, impotent God who can't do anything. No, he is all-powerful. He can move things in an instant. He can make things happen when they shouldn't be happening. He can do things that defy science that he created. He can, defy, he can do things that defy the laws of gravity, which he has made. All of these things he's made, he says, I'm not limited by my own laws. If I want something to fly, it's going to fly. If I want something to happen, it's going to happen. And after all, doesn't that make sense? Because in the beginning, with a word, he spoke. I mean, think of that. The material wasn't even there yet. That's even scarier. You know, give us a scientist a lump of clay, and he can form something. And look, I made a a giraffe. I created this giraffe. And the Lord's like, well, use your own material. I've given you the material. But he even spoke the material when it wasn't even there. He spoke, and it happened, and it existed. What a wonderful God we serve. Isn't he wonderful? Let's clap. Let's just give him a... (laughs) He is awesome. And see, that just breaks through the ceiling, doesn't it? Now, I want to show you something here, and uh, I don't want to over-spiritualize this because there's a, there's a, we have to be careful not to over-spiritualize Scripture. And what does that mean? It just means I look at a passage in context, and it has a meaning in its proper context. But there's also what are called types. And types in the Bible are things that are very similar to other things. And, 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 we can, and, and I think you'll see that this morning, what a biblical type is, if you're not familiar with it. But um, so because God being our healer is the subject really of the message this morning, uh, let's take a look at this as we've already read it. Look at the waters of Mara. What could that be a type of? Because they had this water and it was sufficient, or, or not sufficient actually, but it was supposed to bring comfort and nourishment to them. But the waters of Mara are in a way a type of my life and your life before we came to Christ, while we were still yet in our sin. It just wasn't satisfying. It wasn't satisfying. The water was bitter and life can be like that. Life is bitter sometimes. In fact, life can be downright cruel. But notice what happened when the tree is cast into the bitter water. That tree made the bitter water sweet and able to be enjoyed. That's like eternal life, isn't it? The tree being thrown into this bitter water. The bitter water is my life before Christ. And the tree signifies the cross of Christ coming and being applied to my bitter life, making my life now sweet and usable and enjoyable. Isn't life to be enjoyed? Does God want to make your life miserable or does he want to make your life a blessing? He wants your life to be a blessing. Does he want to, your life to bear more fruit or to just pound you in the ground with a bunch of do's and don'ts? Yeah, he wants more fruit, more fruit. And so this idea of the tree, and just really quickly, you know, Jesus hung on a tree, this tree of wood, um, 
You know, Jesus, the, the, this main pole that you see on the screen uh, it, when he was crucified, that main pole that was stuck in the ground was called the stipes, and it would be a hole in the ground, and the tree would be stuck in the hole in the ground. And then Jesus had to carry the patibulum, this long piece of wood, which was 75 pounds up to 125 pounds, and that's why he collapsed with that and had to have Simon help him carry that, that patibulum to Golgotha, where he would ultimately be affixed. They would nail, lay him down, and after, you know, they'd rope it, and he would, he would carry it, but when the crucifixion finally came, they would affix his, his hands to that patibulum, and then they would just lift him up and put him on the rack, in a sense, on the tree. And so that tree is, everything happened on that tree, when the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross and all that he accomplished on it is applied to our lives, he brings healing to us. He has brought healing to us, and he continues to bring healing to us and joy, and it's not dependent on our externals or even our circumstances. What does it tell us in Isaiah? It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or literally crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We are Rapha. We are healed. The same word. We are healed. God, our healer, he healed us on the cross. And Isaiah spoke that, he would, um, that we would be made whole or receive the cure from sin by his death on the cross. The suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And what does Psalm 103 tell us? It says, a Psalm of David, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives us all our iniquities, who heals all your diseases. There our word again, the Hebrew word Rapha. He heals our diseases. Now, does God heal everybody? No, we know that he doesn't always heal everybody. We're going to see in our text today that he, he healed um, he healed uh, many people, but we know biblically and experientially that God does not always heal. But God can heal anyone or everyone for that matter. Yes, he can do that. So why doesn't God heal everyone? <laughs> I have no idea. Why doesn't he? Is he able? Yes, he is able. Why doesn't he? Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. You know, look down in verse 16 in, our, in chapter 8 here, and you'll see something really interesting. Notice what it says in verse 16. It says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and notice, underline this, and healed all who were sick. In this instance, he did. All those who came, he healed them. And again, this word in the Greek is therapeuo, where, where we get our word thera therapy or therapeutic. That's where the English word comes from. It's from this word here where it says, and he healed all who were sick. That word healed is therapeuo. But see, there is always more to the story when it comes to God healing or not healing somebody. Sometimes our diseases, sicknesses, or our maladies, whatever they are, uh, they may be there to ultimately glorify God when the timing is right. God has a right to do that. If I'm his, then I've given my life to him. 
He has the right to do what he wants. Notice in Luke uh, chapter 7, let, let me just read it to you for the sake of time. In Luke 7 verse 11, it says, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And if you go to Israel, you will visit this little town called Nain. And we drive through it on the bus. We don't usually get off the bus. It's a quick trip. And, um, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And notice, she was a widow. So here's a widow who's now losing her only son. Who's going to take care of her now? That was the, the job of the eldest son once the father or the husband had died. And now she's losing him as well. I mean, she is in a really bad strait. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. And then he came and he touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. And notice verse 16. Then fear came upon all. And they glorified God. There's the reason. All glorify God, saying, a great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. So, was this particular young man's death a mistake, or was God glorified in it? It was, and it all seemed very happenstance, didn't it? I mean, really, what would happen if Jesus had brushed his teeth a little longer that day? He would have missed this procession. If he would have spent a little more time speaking to somebody else, he would admit, but God is not, he's always on time. He knew that that, uh, it's a mystery, isn't it? (laughs) I've always been amazed at what people call fate, and I I don't believe in fate. I believe that God is, is sovereign in everything he does. You know, I'm walking out to my car and I drop my phone on the ground and I pick it up, and in those three seconds that I stop to pick up the phone, Save me from an accident at the intersection. Because as I go by, some guy blows through, and three seconds later, I would have been the beneficiary of impact. Right? Mystery of mysteries. But here he, he stands before the woman, and he heals them. And so, yes. And then, what is the result of that? People give glory to God. They don't give glory to anything else, no one else but God himself. And see, that is when God is working when no, when no one's speaking of, oh, he's such a great pastor, he's a great preacher, they're a great worship team, whatever it may be, whoever it is, great event, television evangelist, and then who gets the credit? It's, it's them. But when God is moving, people think about God. They think about Jesus. They don't think about the vessel, or at least they shouldn't too much. I mean, yes, a person is standing in front of you, but who really deserves the credit and the glory? It's Jesus. He deserves the credit. He deserves the praise. But did God heal the beloved Paul the Apostle? One of the most incredible men in all of history. One of the most brilliant men in all of history. Scholars believe that he, was, he had the mind. He, God was a genius. And God had to reduce him. 
Because God knew what was in him, and we might not even know exactly what it was. Could it have been pride? Could it have been because of Paul's pedigree and growing up under the feet of Gamaliel, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin? You know, the, the list keeps going, and just all these wonderful things about him. His, his, his resume looked great, and he's like, <laughs> well, of course. I am all that, and, and actually much more. If you'd be willing to stick around, I can uh, you know, share with you how great I really am. But God says, no, I'm going to do something in Paul's life. I'm going to reduce him. We don't know why that is. Could it have been because his heart might have been filled with pride? I think anything is possible. What does it tell us in 2 Corinthians? And lest I should be exalted, this is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, notice, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, and it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Perhaps that's the reason. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Are you kidding me, Lord, all that I've done for you? And I've got this issue, and if, it wasn't, if I didn't have this thing, I could be even more effective for you. I could go into more towns. I could be doing a lot more things. But now I'm restricted, and then I'm going to be put in prison? And then I've got to write letters. Please, to Titus. And yet, those books are with us. Those letters are with us today. And God's going, Paul, you don't understand. You're my servant. That means I've got a plan for your life. My life no longer belongs to me. Wasn't that the deal when we gave our heart to Christ? My life no longer belongs to me. He allows us wonderful things and blessings but it no longer belongs to me because he purchased me on the cross at Calvary. My life belongs to him now. And it's my reasonable service to give all of me to him. Right? It's reasonable. If he saved me from, from an eternal, eternal damnation, and he did, Think of that, folks. Eternal, he saved us, all of us, from eternal hell forever. And we get the opposite because of what he did on the cross. That's the best deal going. I don't know why all of these chairs aren't completely filled. I don't know why that fellowship hall is not completely filled with people going, tell me more of this great news. Oh, I'm so glad you're here because I want to tell you. To tell you of the truth because you're not going to get it anywhere else. You get the truth, this truth, the truth of the word of God you get here and probably not a whole lot of other places. How important is it? My grace is sufficient for you, therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities, Paul says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. Why? For my sake? No, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh my goodness, I'm hoping I can learn more of that. There's people, brothers and sisters in our own fellowship that are going through it right now. Steve Susano is another one going through very difficult things and, and love to encourage him the best I can. And there's a group of men that were texting him and talking to him, encouraging him in this process that he's going through. And it's not pretty. Pray for Steve. He's, he's discouraged, but he's a wonderful man. 
But like you and I, he's prone to the devil whispering in my ear, in our ears, you know, you're just not good enough. Because of what you did back in the 70s, God can never forgive you of that. Well, that's nonsense because God can, and he has. He has because I know Steve has confessed every, everything he can think of. And so should we. And then we need to leave it there under the blood of Christ and no longer go back to the grave clothes of that old life and, and start sifting through it again, trying to find a reason why I've got this now. Follow me? Don't we do that? God has forgiven us and he's taken away all that stuff, but we have this propensity to go back into the dunghill, the dunghill and start digging through stuff going, oh, but back in, you know, 73, I did this horrible thing with cocaine and marijuana and I listened to Deep Purple and I had the lava lamp and everything else and now look at me and it's because of that I know it. And God's going, no, I've already forgiven you about that. Why are you, why are you staying there? Move on. It's time to move on. Nothing to see here. Move on. <laughs> right? That's the truth. Don't go back once you've confessed your sin and all those things. Don't look back. Go forward in Christ. No longer let those grave clothes hang on to you. Old things, old things. Behold, all things are new in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation now. You're not that old scoundrel. Amen? Yes. yes. Trust the Lord when you are sick and even when you're well because God may be glorified in your malady. Just give him time and if it's his will, he's going to do it. So, let's get into verse 1. <laughs> when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes, notice, followed him. And behold, a leper came. A leper came and worshipped him. Not a leprechaun. A leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice this man's faith. If you are willing, you can make me clean. So as long as God is willing, the man knew it could be done. Do you believe that, though? I'm so glad that somebody just blurted it out. Just no hesitation, no filter. Yes, it's true. You can believe that. If it's his will, it's done. And it may not happen instantaneously. It may be a steady healing. It may be an immediate healing. The healing for us believers may be when Lord, the Lord takes us home because he's ultimately going to heal us. And I don't know about you, but I'm no longer afraid of death. Amen. I'm afraid of the process. I'm not looking forward to the process. I mean, my idea of going home to be with the Lord is like the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, after I've, I've filled my stomach with pumpkin pie and all of these goodies and cakes and cookies and pies and, 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 and a nice warm bed and then just in the middle of the night. And I'm, and I'm with the Lord. You know, Dallas wins. In the game, you know, I have my... I know there's some people here who don't bear witness to that. I'm not looking forward to the process, but I'm not afraid of death. I know where I'm going. Because of all that he has done, nothing of my, nothing of me, because if it were up to me, I'd be burning in hell. And let me just put it out there, because hell is real. <laughs> but notice this man, his faith, if you are willing, you can. And I think God, I think Jesus was just smiling at this man. Like, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Do you believe it? How many times my wife and I prayed 
for her, type 1 diabetes. I remember when it was a year after we had gotten married, she discovered she had juvenile diabetes one day. All of a sudden, all these symptoms started happening, and sure enough, she goes to the doctor, and we find out that she's a type 1 diabetic. Her pancreas just stopped producing insulin. And so now she's got to wear this pump that gives her insulin. And I remember how many times we prayed for that, and still do at times, but as time goes along, I'm just like, Lord, there's a reason that you've allowed her to have this. I don't get it. I don't like it. And certainly she doesn't like it. How it's inconvenienced her life so many times. I don't know why God hasn't healed her. But has it stumbled our faith? Has it stumbled her faith? No. Were there times where it put a dent in it? Maybe. But real faith also means accepting whatever lot God gives to us. Lord, why did you heal her and not me? I give more to the church than she does. You know, I go to prayer and the meeting and I, and I give to the poor. And so often when we're sick, we, uh, we have a malady of some kind. All we can think about is ourselves and we don't understand what God is doing in us. And also we might not understand what, what that illness is doing in the life of somebody else. How it might be encouraging them about how we are dealing with it. I love what it says in Ephesians 5. This is one of my favorite verses of all time. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly. The idea is carefully or diligently, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walking circumspectly to me is a wonderful uh, phrase because what does circum mean? It means around. And what does spect mean? It means sight. So I'm aware of my surroundings. That's the idea. When I'm aware of my surroundings, I'm walking carefully and I'm walking diligently. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm seeing myself everywhere that I'm at. If I'm aware of my surroundings, who I, where I am, who's around me, and how I'm responding to everything around me, I'm walking more circumspect than not. But whether you choose to, whether you like it or not, family, (laughs) we are living in a fishbowl, are we not? People are looking at us. Yes, the Lord causes the sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He causes the rain to fall on the evil or the just and the unjust. Some of the things that your neighbors are going through as unbelievers are same things that you are going through. It doesn't mean that you're exempt from those things. And, and they're wondering, they're watching. You're the believer. How are you dealing with this? Then Jesus put out his hand, verse 3, and he touched him. He says, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Leprosy was believed at the time to be highly contagious and even hereditary, but passages, passages in the Bible signify that that might not be as, uh, that leprosy might not have been as highly contagious as first thought, because the priest in Leviticus 13 had to examine the person, and if they were highly contagious, the priest would probably do it through some kind of, you know, remote camera with a a drone or something, but he wouldn't be there, you know, inspecting the person and looking at them. The disease begins on the skin and it infects inward to the bones, decaying the whole body little by little, causing deformity, like with Hansen's disease, which is the most extreme part of or form of uh, uh, leprosy. 
even to the loss of, of the extremities, the loss of feeling in the extremities, causing those extremities, because there's no blood flow now for those extremities to start falling off or being deformed. Either way, having leprosy was a life of separation and loneliness. We know that in Leviticus 13, it says, The leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. And he shall be unclean. All the days that he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. And his dwelling shall be outside the camp. They would have leper colonies if there, if there were more than one person with, with leprosy. So it was a life of loneliness. And yet Jesus would walk up to this man and say, I will be cleansed. Perhaps nobody has touched him, even his own family. Think of that. You know, someone who has never, you know, has maybe had uh, leprosy for some time and everyone's kind of like staying away from them and not wanting to get close to them because they didn't know the things that we know today. And Jesus just walks up, touches him. Can you imagine the crowd gasping? <gasps> Can't believe he touched him. And Jesus is looking around. What's the problem? I'm able to heal. I, I am willing. Be cleansed. No different those words than the words in Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be light. Amen. I will be cleansed is no different than when he said, and let there be livestock and all the birds of the fowl of the air and the, and the waters teeming with all kinds of intricate animals that we can't even, we study them, we don't even know half of it. We're just like, there's these animals down in the Marianas Trench that have never seen the light of day and they're so designed so wonderfully and they got such intricacy and yet nobody sees them. And now we're just getting pictures of them and God's going, yeah, I, I made that too. Nobody's seen it until now. What do you think? Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I did that. And there's many other things that God has done that we're still scratching our heads or haven't even discovered. And I love that about him. But I am willing, be thou cleansed. I love that. And Jesus, verse 4, said to him, See that you tell no one, but notice, go your way, show yourself to the priest... And offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. See, Jesus wanted the man to go see the priest first. Why? Because no Israelite, okay, no Israelite, Naaman in 2 Kings 5 was a, a Gentile, but no Israelite had been cleansed of leprosy except for Miriam in Numbers, right? I think it's Numbers 12 where she was... Um, yeah, in Numbers 12, Miriam, because of her rebellion, came down with leprosy, and the Lord healed her after Moses interceded for his sister. But that's the only time, biblically, where an Israelite was healed of leprosy. So now when this happens, it's stirred up quite a, a group of people. It stirred everybody up. And they're wondering, who is this? And notice, Jesus sent them to the priest. Why the priest? For that very reason. Because the priest would be the one to realize this has never happened before. This has never happened. 
Never seen this before. And wasn't that a proof? Wasn't that a proof positive to the religious leaders, to the priests? The Messiah is in your midst. He is in your midst. And folks, do you know that the Messiah is in our midst as well? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's never left us. He's not going to leave you in your time of despair, your time of need. Is it going to be tough? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes it may be really tough. God doesn't, he never promised us a rose garden. Well, actually he did. But on this earth, we're going to go through difficulties. But yes, he has promised us eternal life. Don't get me wrong. But while we are on this earth, on terra firma, we're going to go through difficulties. We're going to experience difficult things, things that are just going to wrench us. And what does that do? See, what it does, it, it produces in me two responses. One is that I just get angry with God, and I just say, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of this. I just want to, I'm going to try something else. This Christianity thing just doesn't work for me. And then you go to Hinduism, you go to Buddhists, you go to you know, Buddhism, you go to whatever, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, you, you try to find, you know, go up on the mountains of Tibet and get in the lotus position and contemplate a word, I don't know. You can do that if you want, but you're going to come back empty. You can come to Christ and it's one-stop shopping because he's the only one who has secured you, he's the only one who paid the price, he's the only one who can heal you, he is Jehovah Rapha. The one who spoke all things can say, I will be healed. Or he may say, I love you, but I'm going to allow you to go through this. Paul, I'm going to allow you, even though you've pleaded with me three times to remove this malady from you, there's reasons I'm not going to do this, Paul. I'm going to be with you in it. I'm going to be with you through it, just like he was those three lads in the fiery furnace Who was with them in the fiery furnace? It was Jesus. He was in there with them. He was in there through through the whole thing. In fact, when Nebuchadnezzar had men go in, they were even consumed by the flames trying to get them out of the fire or to beckon them to come out. But they were fine just to be in there as long as Christ was with them. And you may be going through a fire. You may be going through a challenge. And the Lord is going to be with you as well. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Let's stand and let's pray. Oh, Father, we just come before you this morning and we want to thank you Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for touching us the way that you have. Thank you for, Lord, even the difficult things that have ground us to powder at times. Lord, we pray for your healing. Lord, I pray for everyone here in our fellowship, Lord, that's struggling. Whether it's just a cold, whether it's a... Uh, some kind of disease, or whether it's cancer, whether it's terminal, whether it's not, Lord, would you please touch, Lord, and according to your will and plan for our lives, Lord, would you heal according to your will? And Lord, I pray that you would heal my brothers and sisters, heal our thinking, 
heal our minds from the damage that we've got in the world. And Lord, help us replace those damaged thoughts, those damaged things with your word. Lord, to, to, to read your word and to understand, Lord, your nature, your character. Lord, isn't that our greatest privilege, Lord, to read your word and to learn more of you? to learn more of your character, that you are a good God. You're not angry and bitter and just wanting to smack us around, Lord. You're, you're very different from the world. And so, Lord, heal my brothers and sisters. Heal myself today. Heal my wife, my daughter, all of our sons and daughters, all of our families, us. We ask it in your precious name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.